Evolve Medical Education Podcasts. Hello, my name is Christina Wang, and I'm a professor of ophthalmology at the Baylor College of Medicine. Recently, Evolve Medical Education held a virtual event in which three retina specialists discussed various aspects of geographic atrophy. I've worked to adapt that event into a podcast miniseries titled Emerging Trends in Geographic Atrophy. This educational activity is supported by Iveric Bio. This is the second episode in our miniseries. If you missed the first episode and want to hear about some of the basics surrounding geographic atrophy, or GA, please go back in your feed to find the episode. Now, on to episode two of Emerging Trends in Geographic Atrophy. In this section, Dr. Mark Barakat will discuss imaging GA, which is key to our diagnosis of the disease, as well as methods for measuring visual function in GA patients. Dr. Barakat practices at Retina Consultants of Arizona. Now, I know we're in podcast form, and some of what Dr. Barakat will discuss references some specific images shown on a screen during Evolve's virtual educational event. If you want to see those images, you can find the link to the archived video of Dr. Barakat's presentation in the episode description. Dr. Bearcat, take it away. So we're talking a little bit about diagnosing geographic atrophy. And I think we all realize that best corrective visual acuity is not truly a reliable measure. We, we know this from uh, our experience in clinic, but frankly, also in clinical trials, it is not um, um, easily reproduced in a setting of geographic atrophy because it does not directly correspond to the size of, of the lesion, uh, uh, possibly due to the foveal sparing. And it really underrepresents the vision loss seen in this patient population. And there's alternative assessments as seen here, low luminance visual acuity. Certainly we know from experience, just talking to our patients that they have a harder time adjusting different lighting conditions. The reading speed is a critical assessment as well in terms of functionality, microparameter, and patient reported outcomes. So low luminance, as we all know, patients with geographic atrophy have significant difficulty with dimly lit environments. And one way of measuring this is by putting a, a neutral density filter over the uh, best correcting visual acuity um, correction over the eye. Uh, use the same ETDRs uh, normally in the chart, and there you'll see a vast difference in these patients. As a matter of fact, in one study, not only was there a difference in terms of the low luminance deficit, uh, but it was also a strong predictor in terms of subsequent visual acuity loss. For, and this was for all levels of baseline visual acuity in geographic atrophy patients. So not only is it a, a symptom of the disease, but in some ways also a prognostic indicator. So reading speed is another way, uh, another approach of measuring the visual acuity impact on, on these patients. And as you can see here, this is the Minnesota low vision reading. And what, what we do here is we not only test the visual acuity, the, the lowest, the smallest letters that patients can read, but frankly, also the speed with which they can read and the, the critical size in which they can read at the maximum reading speed. And as you might well imagine that you might have a patient with foveal sparing and they can see one letter at a time, but they really have a, a, a hard time with functional reading and reading speed as a result. Microperimity measurements. So this also measures the, the, the threshold of light sensitivity at multiple points of the macula. And this actually detects several defects and it measures the progression as you can see on the left-hand side, the old baseline and 12 months later, you see progression. Unfortunately, 24 months, it continues. It also identifies specific areas of scotomas, which is much harder to do with other modalities. 
And this can also can then be subsequently mapped onto a fundus photo and compared with images using other modalities. And this is uh, done with varying stimulus intensity um, um, over specific areas of the retina. Patient reported outcomes. Now, I think sometimes uh, as clinicians, we have a hard time um, on, on incorporating patient reported outcomes in, into how we uh, treat and assess patients because there's such a high degree of variability and, and, and perceived unreliability. But frankly, we know from well, one trial in Mahalo study when they looked at it afterwards that there was actually a lot of reliability and reproducibility in this 25-item national eye institute visual function questionnaire in patients with geographic atrophy. And as you can see here, there's some examples of, of questions from this questionnaire about how much difficulty you have reading ordinary print newspaper, how much uh, difficulty or no difficulty you have seeing well up close, in terms of, of activities that patients really care about, you know, in terms of cooking or sewing or fixing things around the house or using tools. And that's another um, measurement that we can incorporate in terms of uh, assessing patients with geographic atrophy and subsequent the growth thereof. All right, let's take a quick break. When we get back, Dr. Barricat will dive into imaging for GA. We're going to head back to Dr. Mark Barricat as he begins his discussion on imaging in GA. Remember, if you want to see the images for this piece, check out the link to the archived video in the episode description. So let's talk a little bit about the role of imaging. We've talked more about uh, some, somewhat more subjective tests and let's talk about the role of imaging. And as you can see here, there's many, many different modalities for assessing atrophy. And uh, the classic one, of course, is the um, historical standard, which is just a flash color photography. And it's a really closely correlates to what we see in examination. And you can see the hemorrhages quite robustly there as well. Uh, the problem is sometimes you don't get the same contrast that you like, and there's some, um, some limited reliability, and it's also affected by the, in terms of the, uh, the, the view, right? Um, you also have fundus autofluorescence, which gives you a nice, crisp, high contrast, and it's actually accepted uh, by regulatory authorities. So it definitely has that going forward. Uh, but it's also sensitive to nuclear lens opacities and has a hard time really assessing the, the foveal uh, area because that, uh, by definition, it also looks uh, dark and looks very similar to atrophy. You have near infrared, which is uh, built into most OCTs, so it's widely available. And uh, as, as we know, the OCTs are relatively resistant to media opacity, so there's that advantage, advantage as well. But it's not really been validated in, uh, for late stage AMD. And so we, we still have much to learn about this. You have uh, confocal multicolor images, which are high precision and contrast. It's similar to color fundus, but not, not exactly quite that way. It's good at detecting pseudodrism, but it has limited availability. And then we talk about OCT as well, not just the near infrared that's built into it, but the actual OCT cross-sectional image is broadly available. It correlates with histology. You have great tracking, right? We, we really have great tracking software that's already been developed for us for wet AMD. And so could uh, one imagine that easily be employed for use in dry AMD. Uh, the problem is it's that the scan field is limited. Interpretation is still pretty strongly dependent on the quality. And so the automated segmentation is also somewhat imperfect. So it's not yet been optimized for this disease state, but certainly it shows potential. 
So let's talk a little bit more in detail about the flash core photography. So the definition of geographic attribute is, is sharply demarcated borders, as it's seen on the left here. You see the pigmentation, and also classically you see the choroidal vessels more visible, as you can see in the very center right there. So that's a nice uh, image of geographic atrophy, which uh, shown here as a gold standard over, over the decades. Cool. Uh, uh, dry and deep. The problem is, as you can see here, it's you don't always get that classic image. So sometimes there's insufficient contrast. Where are the edges in these images, right? And so it may not always be practical for um, the a larger subset of patients for clinical trial. And so because you don't have that classic geographic appearance in everyone. And so um, that is a limiting factor for color photography. Now, whereas in color photography, you might have some difficulty in determining edges. If you look at autofluorescence, Fungus autofluorescence, you see this nice demarcation. And this is really one of the reasons why fungus autofluorescence has really taken off as a, uh, a measurement tool for um, atrophy in, in these cases. So um, this is exactly the reason, as you mentioned, the, uh, one of the primary outcome measures of clinical trials is based on this because it's, it's uh, succinct borders and um, easier to measure than on color photography. Now you can still use OCTs as we mentioned, and you see this hypertransmission defect is in, uh, in the center of the screen. You see on the, on the right hand side where the actual scan is done. So you can actually do some, some good measurements based on this on the OCT. And of course you also have the near infrared overlay that's available most of these OCTs that also helps you correlate the size of the atrophy. So there's definitely potential there as well once that is validated further. So fungus autofluorescence and OCT speaking of validation. So they showed actually pretty good agreement if you look at, uh, in the Mahalo trial. Um, the only issue is, are you truly measuring the same thing with these different modalities? So it may not actually. As you can see here, is all increased chlorine reflectivity evidence of atrophy? So on the left-hand side, you see that increased reflectivity. Is that nascent atrophy? Is it about to become atrophic? Uh, or is it already atrophic? Certainly doesn't look like geographic atrophy. So what's the threshold? And so really we're in need of a consensus. And so this is why there was the CAN consensus classification of atrophy. And uh, where you have the terms on the bottom here, let's focus on the bottom first. We have C aurora, I aurora, C aurora, and I aurora, which really stands for complete RP and autoretinal atrophy and incomplete RP and autoretinal atrophy with the uh, definition seen up top here. So really the hypertransmission defect of, of 250 microns are greater, um, also an RPE zone attenuation disruption of the same diameter. The, the photoreceptors above it also have to uh, show degeneration. This is the absence of, of an RPE tear because that would give you the, an artificial uh, version of this. And so really what was done here uh, as part of this consensus they followed uh, that subsequent visits of patients and imaging. And really what the question was asked, where from baseline to visit two and visit three and visit four and five, as you can see here, the atrophy continues to worsen. Where is it just complete outer retinal atrophy and where the atrophy of the RPE is joining it as well. And as you can see from baseline all the way down, first it seems that the, the outer retina is, is going, then the RPE is joining it as well, forming C aura. So let's talk a little bit about prognostics. 
in terms of imaging. So these are the things we already know in terms of autofluorescence, the lesion size, the bigger lesion, the configuration and, and, and the pattern as well has been linked to a slower or faster uh, rate of growth in geographic atrophy. There's also uh, some things that you see in OCT, geographic atrophy in fellow eye, pseudodrusin or fin choroid, and also some uh, junctions on abnormalities. So larger lesions on funders autofluorescence and multifocal lesion grow just, they just plain grow faster. And if you think about the reason why, it's because it's just a larger perimeter. If the perimeter of the lesions were to grow at the same rate and you have more surface area, if you will, then uh, unfortunately those lesions grow faster. And as you can see on the right-hand side, uh, right bottom, the multifocal lesion uh, tends to uh, grow uh, towards together. And also the larger it gets, uh, grows uh, faster as well. Okay, patterns on uh, fundus autofluorescence. As you can see here, top left corner, normal. There's really no uh, stippling seen. And then you see some patchy one next to it. You see these focal areas on the bottom, left-hand side. And then you see the band that wears, wears all the way around the, uh, the, around the areas of a lesion. Uh, we're mainly going to be focusing here on, on the diffuse, which you see on the right-hand side. There's different patterns of diffuse uh, autofluorescence, and uh, there's particular and branching and also granular. And they actually behave differently because when you look at the, the focal, the band, the patch, the diffuse, and if you focus on the right-hand side and the progression rate, you'll notice that the trickling has a much higher progression rate than, than the other lesion size. So there is some prognostic benefit to doing the fundus autofluorescence in order to tell patients this, this may be a faster or slow growing uh, lesion, not just based on the size and the multifocality, but also in terms of the, the patterns of autofluorescence. Now, we talked about the fundus autofluorescence. Let's talk a little bit about OCT. And in OCT, you also see these reticular pseudodrusins the drusen deposits, as, as can be seen here, and they can be associated with, with the um, early um, areas of atrophy uh, beginning um, and faster progression of geographic atrophy. And also, when you look in the bottom, you see on the left-hand side, you see a thin subfovial um, choroidal thickness, and you see a thicker on the right-hand side. And the thinner um, subfovial choroidal thickness has been associated with, with faster GA progression as well. So even though we mentioned that the OCT is really, uh, at least at this point, not geared well towards um, geographic atrophy and dry AMD. There are some prognostic indicators that can be seen on these that uh, can help us guide patients in terms of their future uh, visual acuity and geographic atrophy loss. And with that, I thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the second episode of Emerging Trends in Geographic Atrophy. And thanks to Dr. Barakat for the spectacular job he's done. We should recognize that Iveric Bio supported this educational activity, so thanks to them too. We have one more episode left in this mini-series, and if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast in whatever platform you're using to listen to this episode. For now, I'm Christina Wang.